Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Very good. Very good. Psalms 35. Psalm 35 is where we're going today. I'm, I have I have forgotten. I was going to have somebody read that, and uh, I got off track there. I'm so sorry about that. Uh, but Psalm 35. So I'm rejoicing over the uh, 12 to 18 inches we're going to get in the next. I'm just so excited about it, I can't tell you. Man. But it's, uh, it's coming, and we praise the Lord for it, uh, for the abundance of snow that uh, we're going to get. Actually, we've had a good winter so far, haven't we? I think, I think we can all say that God has been leaning on us at least this, this past winter. Uh, so that can obviously change in a moment, and it will in just a few moments, uh, starting Monday night, I guess, going into Wednesday. Psalm 35. I want to, uh, I'm going to be uh, on our uh, descent into Resurrection Sunday, right? I'm going to be preaching four or five messages, maybe six or seven, if it includes the night services. And uh, what I call Operation uh, Cleanup or Spring Cleaning. Uh, and I want us to be aware that uh, as we approach uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday, um, to, um, to be aware of our own lives and uh, to examine our own hearts, where we are, where we should be, uh, and then allow God to speak to us. Allow God to come in and do some house cleaning. Um, he, he needs to do that. Uh, every church needs it. Every soul needs it. Every home needs it. Uh, just some house cleaning. Spring is a good time to do that because we enter into Resurrection Sunday and we learn about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I'll be preaching some message on that. I encourage you to come, invite others to come, uh, uh, and just to hear and ask God to challenge you. I don't know if you do that. I do that. Lord, I don't, I don't want to be com- complacent. I don't want to get too comfortable with just a status quo. I want to be challenged uh, and, and to do the things that he wants me to do. Sometimes that's a, that's a crazy prayer. Sometimes he'll throw something your way that you're really going to need to depend upon him on. But I really want to be that way in my life. I want you to be that way in your life. I want this church to be challenged. I don't want them to just uh, go through, uh, you know, status quo. Just staying complacent. We get through this week. We get through the next week. We get through next week. I don't want that to happen. I want to see it to be so fruitful in this area that, you know, within very, within a very few weeks, uh, this place would be so full that we'd have to be setting up chairs, uh, uh, you know, for people to come in. So today, to start this off, I'm going to talk about a little bit about rescuing souls. Um, this is a this is a message that's dear to my heart, obviously. In fact, I got home from a long trip yesterday, and I spent a few hours just going over and asking God just to open my own heart to these things that I'm about to preach. So I can get kind of serious sometimes, and I can be uh, fun too, but um, these are things that are important to me. I should be important to the church. I hope you, they're important to you. I want you to turn to thir- Psalm 35, verse 17. 
David gives us some uh, points uh, about the mission we have been given uh, that I pulled out of this uh, scripture, these scripture verses that I believe will bless us, I really do, and show us uh, what God is looking for from us. And it's interesting the words that he uses because the star trade off in verse 17, he says this, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are my enemies wrongfully rejoice over me. Neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha! Aha, our eye hath seen it. Or in other words, we caught you. And thou hast seen, O Lord, keep not silence, O Lord, and be not far from me. Stir up thyself and awake to my judgment and even to my cause, my God and my Lord. Father, thank you so very much for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that it uh, accomplishes what it needs to accomplish in the heart that you send it. Uh, I'm certain, Lord, because you have put this burden on my heart for this man. There's someone here today that needs help. They are desperately seeking direction from you and how to handle something, how to get through something. I don't know who it is or what it is that you're telling them, you're going to tell them today, but I know that you're coming in with healing wings. And, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that their hearts would be touched and you'd bless them and us, Lord, as we... Listen to what you have to say to us from your word, and we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. How long are you going to watch what is happening to me and do nothing about it? Isn't that an incredible statement? How long are you going to watch, Lord, what's going on in my life or in my family or in my job? How long are you going to watch this, what I'm going through, and do nothing about it? Have you ever felt that way? I would suggest, I think, that we all have at one point or another wondered what God is doing. And I think we all have at one time or a point or another, uh, we're honest with God. And just said, uh, you know, instead of saying, oh, praise him, he does everything right. We just say, Lord, what's going on? I don't understand what's going on. So God often does not reveal to us what he's doing or why he is waiting and not intervening. And sometimes that can go on for years. Man, even decades. So in, in Psalm 35, David complains that the soldiers and subjects of Saul, they're lying in wait to kill him. They want him dead. And they, are, they were also, and this I think hurt David more, they were lying to King Saul about him. Uh, they are alleging that David was plotting to kill him. And Saul obviously took it seriously and was out to get David. Uh, so it seemed like God was doing nothing to remedy the situation. And by by first listening to this statement when he says, uh, Lord, how long wilt thou look on it? It almost looks like he's doubting God or wondering where he is, but I want to share with you, I don't think that's what he meant. Because here's why. David's been a loyal subject uh, to, uh, to Saul from the very beginning, and yet he was the one being falsely accused of being a liar and a traitor. But yet he had uh, Saul's best interests more in mind than those that were lying to him that uh, trying to convince Saul they had their best, his best interests in mind. 
So David confessed that even though Saul was out to kill him, he behaved himself, you know, concerning Saul. You can read the rest of the psalm. Uh, Saul had been his friend. He had been his king. Uh, David actually cared about Saul, unlike Saul's old men. So what was God waiting for? You know, why didn't he come in and intervene and bring justice and, you know, and give David some high fives? Well, David cries out, Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul, he says, from their destructions, my darling from the lions. What he was saying is this. He's saying, God, how long are you going to be a bystander when I know you can end this vile wickedness right now? So the reference to his darling literally means my only one, my darling. You know, it's kind of a, it's an intimate term. Like, I, I, my wife is my darling. She's my only one, my only wife, right? And he's saying that to God. Uh, God was all he had, but he knew God was all he needed, right, to rescue him. And he knew God was a rescuer, he, if that's the right, correct word. But confident God would eventually rescue us all. David promised to publicly praise him. He said, once I'm rescued, I'm, I'm going to thank you in front of the congregation. Uh, and, and when then was, then, I said, when, when that happens, he's going to just uh, stand in the forum, right, and just say, oh, my God, you know, because he really believed it was going to happen. Well, then how long wilt thou look on? What was that statement all about? How long will thou look on? Because he knew that God had witnessed everything, Right? And nothing was getting past him. And he also knew that nothing can stay God's hand. Nothing can stop God from doing whatever he wanted to do. Therefore, David pled with God to defend him on behalf of his own loyalty uh, to Saul, but also on his loyalty to him, his God. And he knew his God could deliver. I tell you today, as your pastor, whatever you're going through, God can deliver you. Yes, he can. And he will deliver you. So how many of you know God always sees what's going on when we think he doesn't? Uh, he cares. He knows. I mean, we think we get away with things. We don't get away with anything. He knows exactly what we're saying, what we're doing all the time. And we think we can just say what we want, do what we want, and get away with it. But you're not going to get away with it. Because he is a rescuer. He is a deliverer. So nothing gets past him. No one gets away from, from, uh, with anything. He knows who is suffering for him. Right? He knows who's suffering for him. He knows who is sincerely in love with him and those who are not. He also knows this, who are the fair-weather Christians. You know? And those who are not. David was not a fair-weather Christian. Uh, all David wanted was for God to rescue his soul, as he knew he could do and would, because God has done this before, and God was a just God. And he doesn't just let evil go by without doing something. I mean, obviously, we saw him send Christ to the cross for us. So David not only was the one who said, rescue my soul, we can't forget. He was also the one that said, right, God will redeem my soul. And he was also the one that said, he restoreth my soul. Right? This is the same God. And this is the same David. So what does it take to turn your loyalty away from God or better yet, what does it, God have to do to get you to turn your loyalty to him? Is, are you going to let the suffering or, or the trial that you're going through turn you away from him? Are you going to let years of him not answering turn you away from him, or at least thinking that he's not answering? 
I just did a thing. We're doing a thing on prayer. I've on my sixth message now on Wednesday nights talking about prayer. He answers every prayer. And I can prove that from the scriptures. So what does it take to get your loyalty to come to him and not be a fair-weather Christian? You know, one of the all-time greats in baseball was Babe Ruth. Everybody remember him? And even the young kids should remember him a little bit. Uh, he, he, bat, he, bat with, he had a powerful bat. It was like a cannon. And his record was 714 home runs. And, and that stayed there for a long time, unbroken, until Hank Aaron came along. And, and then Babe, was, uh, was the, he was the idol of sports fans years ago. Uh, but in time, what happened was his age took hold, and his popularity began to wane. And finally, the Yankees traded him to the Braves. Probably one of the best baseball players in all of history just traded him to another team. And in one of his last games in Cincinnati, Babe Ruth failed miserably. Miserably. He kept striking out. He made several missed plays. He allowed the Reds to score five runs in one inning. And as the Babe walked toward the duckout, feeling very dejected, you know what happened? There rose a, uh, from the stands an enormous storm of boos and uh, cat, cat calls. Some fans actually shook their fist at him. It's amazing, right? Once they were the best, best athlete ever. Loved him. Now they're shaking his fist at him. And then something miraculous happened. A, a little boy... Um, feeling his pain, jumped over the railing, and with tears streaming down his cheeks, ran out to the great athlete and unashamedly threw his arms around his legs and held on tightly. Both of them are now weeping. Bruce scooped him up, hugged him, patted him gently on the head, and then took his hand, and they both walked off the field uh, together. That's one of Babe's last games. And the Yankees fans were loyal to Babe when he played well. Yes, they were. They're very loyal to Babe when he played well. But when things weren't going so well, they turned their back on him and they booed him. You know, I think about pastors sometimes when things are going well. Boy, he's the greatest pastor in the world. When things ain't going well, he's, it's his fault. You know, because that's kind of how the human mind works. But sadly, history shows that the same story can be told over and over again about many fair-weather followers of Jesus Christ. Especially when they don't get what they want. They love God when he's good to them and eventually, and everything's going well, but when God seems to be silent or distant, while they're enduring these hard struggles, right, they turn from him and in a sense, they boom. So my question this morning to all of us, including me, is how committed are we to Christ? How committed are we to our faith and doing the things Christ wants us to do? Are we fair-weather followers or are we faithful followers? Do we praise God during the good times and, and also the bad times? Or do we shake our fist at him when things don't go good in our lives or going the right way the way we feel they should go? So did David lose his faith lose the faith he once had when he fought Goliath when he made that statement? I suggest absolutely not. He's just reaffirming it. David wasn't shaking his fist at God here. He was reminding himself and his God of how faithful his God was. You've rescued before, Lord. It's time to rescue me again. And God had rescued him many times. And he did it many times before for David. 
And did you? And I thought about this, about this, how many times he did rescue David. And I said, did you know that there is no place in the Bible that puts a limit on how many times someone can be rescued? Or someone could be forgiven? Or someone could um, be restored? No amount of time. I mean, if you're here today and you're going through something, you think, you know, God doesn't listen to me. I want to tell you something. He'll forgive you. He'll keep forgiving you. He'll restore you. He'll keep restoring you if you fall again. Seven times, he'll still pick you up. He'll rescue you, right? And if you fall back, he'll rescue you again. Uh, that's who our God is. So, so here are my mission challenges for this morning and for this morning's message. For uh, using David's faith and God's faithfulness to David, right, to apply them for us and anyone who's struggling in here this morning, going through something they don't want to go through, but they're going to have to go through, and God's going to allow them to go through it. And I want you to know that he's still your rescuer. He still wants to restore your soul. He will still want you to rejoice in your heart. Number one, our mission first is to be a rescue mission. You know, Margaret, I made that phone call, by the way, down there to the rescue mission. They haven't, they haven't got back to me yet, but uh, I know they're busy down there. Why? Because there's a lot of people need rescuing. There's a lot of people. I want to get familiar with it down here to, in Albany and uh, hopefully be able to help in some way. But when David said, rescue my soul, he was acknowledging how God had often rescued him. He knew that he, does, he is a rescuer. So this reminds me of my high school days working on a vegetable farm during my summer breaks. Uh, I'm going to use illustration, my illustrations today. You all right with that? So there was an old mechanic there. His name was Charlie. Anybody a mechanic here? Anybody good with motors and stuff? Amen. Praise the Lord. And I became friends with him. He kept all the machinery running that was uh, used in picking the vegetables for the Beechnut Baby uh, Factory here in Kanjahari. So when the, the machinery would break down, what would happen in the field, he would drive out into the field with his own car, with, the, with his car in the field. He'd fix the machinery right away. You know why? Because during harvest time, uh, every hour counted. In other words, you've got to get the squash off the, off the ground. You've got to get the beans in the, before they spoil. So during harvest time, he was very busy. And it was essential that you pick the vegetables that week. They were ripe or they'd begin to rot on the vines. So needless to say, uh, Charlie, uh, there was a lot of pressure on him during the harvest weeks, which was only a few weeks long. So Charlie had two claims to fame, and I want to share with them with you today because they fit right into the message. Number one, he was an amazing mechanic. In other words, he could fix anything. And, and God knows he helped all of us, us hapless teenagers at that point, fix our junk cars just so that we could get to work. He was that way. But secondly is this, he never bought a car. He had cars, he always had cars. And he'd change them often, but he never bought one. And when he would drive a new one into to work, we would ask him, now where did you get that car from? And here's what he would say. It's an, and I remember, he's a very eccentric, older guy. He said it was an RFD. And then, of course, we asked, well, what's an RFD? He says, a rescue from the dump. Uh, when Charlie needed another car, he went to the junkyard. Now, please don't miss what I'm saying here, as it fits. When he went to the junkyard, they would give him a car that was considered a dead car. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Well, this simply meant it didn't run. There was no longer any value in its parts. He was it was scheduled to be crushed. So he would take it, use his masterful mechanical skills, and, and get that car running again and use it until he couldn't keep it running anymore. So he always had a free car. And, and then he'd just go and make another rescue when his car died. And uh, he gave meaning to that saying, one man's junk is another man's treasure. So he gave new life to old cars that others left for dead. He rescued them from the dump. Now, please listen to me. Lord, how long wilt thou look on, rescue my soul from their destructions? Do you all realize we were dead to God before Jesus came to rescue us? Literally dead. Useless. We were rescued by Jesus from the rubbish pits of sin and then delivered from the destruction of, our, of the consequences of our sin and the rebellion of our, of our unbelief. And then he took us out of the trash heaps of our wicked transgressions against God and he gave us new life. That's our Lord and our Savior. That should be our mission every single day. How, how many people are we treating like they're dead cars not worth putting any effort into saving? How many have, uh, I should say, erred from their faith that they once had and we're quick, quick to look at them or quick to cry out at them and say, well, that's their problem, right? They deserve to be crushed. Maybe they'll learn their lesson this time. Instead of getting involved in their lives, there's no rescue mission to them. You know, my Bible reads in James 5, 19 and 20, it says this, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. In other words, all that he's done, right? You're going to save him from that. It's a rescue mission, everybody. That's what we're doing. It's a rescue mission. How many people have we left for dead because we've lost focus of our mission for Christ? To rescue souls. Jesus didn't give us up for dead. He gave us life to save us from the dead. And then give us life. So have we given up the rescue mission? and uh, replace it with a self-preservation mission. Well, as long as we got money in the, as long as we got money in the bank and as long as we meet budget, as long as we uh, have our meals and as long as we uh, say be kind to one another, as long as we're doing all that and we stay status quo, everything's going good, then we're okay. I don't think that's what God has asked us to do. Just keeping ourselves fed and satisfied, forgetting that it's not the main purpose we were saved for. You know, Jesus said, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. Do you understand that's what he's out there doing in the world right now? He said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Not just life, abundant life. So our mission, first, is a rescue mission. Secondly, our mandate is to be a redeeming mandate. Another illustration. The RV you see out there that Pat and I are living in, right now uh, is 21 years old and we knew it needed some work but we knew with a little tender loving care and some elbow grease it would work well for us in ministry and also for 
um, seeing our kids, and it has, it has. I mean, at least we've had a place. It's getting a little old right now. I'd like to be in our house. Hopefully in two weeks we'll be in it. But, uh, but I want to tell you, I bless God every day for it because if we didn't have it, there were things I wouldn't be able to do, uh, and now I can do them. I can stay in the church and fix things and do stuff while I'm here. So we bought it for well under what it's worth. In its heyday, it was worth quite a bit of money uh, with, needed, with, need, with the need of repairs. And uh, we thought about this RV can have a second chance at life again. In a sense, what we did is redeem it. If, we were, if he was still alive, Charlie would be really proud of me and my wife. Listen to Titus 3, 5, and 6. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, by the washing of regeneration, and listen, and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because it was impossible for us to renew the life we forfeited because of our sin, we needed to be redeemed. All of us. And, and we couldn't clean ourselves up to be clean enough to be presented fully righteous before God. So our life had to be cleaned up by someone else, and Jesus did that. Jesus came and redeemed us with his own blood. In other words, he did the redeeming work so we could have a brand new life in him. You know, he didn't rescue us and give us a salvage title. Everybody familiar with what a salvage title is? You know, they, uh, that, they give that to damaged cars or damaged RVs so that they can be used again. He didn't do that. He redeems us from the old life and gives us a brand new life. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, right, he is a new creature. Oh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Jesus not only cleaned our, up our record, he gave us a clean slate. And this is, this is kind of the theme I'm going down, Operation Cleanup in these days ahead, right, at Lighthouse. Uh, every soul has a price tag on it, labeled, according to the Word of God, priceless and precious. And I don't want to miss a single soul who the Lord leaves for dead. You know, there's a redeeming, redeeming work that Jesus can do. Jesus sought us to redeem us, I, I want to be, have that same mandate for our life and this church. So he doesn't just replace the damaged parts. He makes an entirely new man. In other words, he doesn't look at that RV as a, a 2002. He looks at it as a brand new one. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15 says, For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the amity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man. So making peace. Now think about that. As a new creature, we get a new name, we get a new family, we get a new position in life, we get a new direction, we get a new destination, uh, and a new home prepared for us in heaven and waiting for us when we get there, when we take our last breath here on earth. So all this comes with a clean title, a clean slate, never expires, right? And it never needs to be renewed. Jesus, listen, never has to come and die again to cover our sins. 
Isn't that wonderful? You know, there's a verse uh, that is taken the wrong way sometimes, a couple of verses in Hebrew, but Hebrews 10.10 says this, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You know, and Jude 1.3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You see, it's impossible for Jesus, uh, uh, for Jesus to lose your, uh, lose your salvation. It's impossible for you to lose your salvation once you have, have it because of his crucifixion was done once and for all time for all sinners and all sin. Hebrews 6, and you've got to read this in the right way. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says this, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of the God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again. Why? Because you can't crucify Christ again. He did it once and for all time for all people. In other words, if, we were, if it were possible to lose it, uh, you could never get it back. But our God is a rescuer, right? And he made a one-time offering for sin with his own son so that we could have an all-time life with him, an everlasting life with him. God would have to crucify Jesus again for those that fall away if that was the case, and he doesn't have to do that. That's impossible because he already conquered death. He finished the work that it was given him to do under the once shed blood on his own himself, from himself as once shed blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 21 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by traditions from your fathers. You know, that, that's just saying that you weren't saved because you were just brought up a Christian, a Christian home. And you're not going to be saved just because you're brought up in a Christian home under Christian parents. But with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in, uh, by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And not in man. So God is never through with any one of his fallen soldiers. He's never through with any one of his failed servants or his floundering children. Jesus is in the soul-rescuing, soul-redeeming business, and that's the business I want to be in, don't you? We're in the soul-cleansing business. That's what it's all about. You know, Luke 5.32 is the greatest, I call it, woke silencer in the Bible, where Jesus said, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I posted that this morning on my, on my ministry page, uh, Saving Grace Ministries. And you'll see it. Jesus didn't eat with uh, sinners, tax collectors, and drunkards because he wanted to appear inclusive or tolerant or accepting. He ate with them to call them to repentance. He ate with them to clean them up. From where they were. If you don't choose to make God's business your business, listen to me. He might close down your business until you're ready to do business with him again. And boy, he does that a lot. I've watched it through the years. People got things just going good, and then all of a sudden he knocks the rug out from underneath, pulls it right out. 
just so he can get them to come back to him or to look back to him. See, we're, we're all rescues from the dumps, which were once dead. And we needed uh, rescuing and redeeming by Jesus Christ. We were rescued from the depravity of our sin and redeemed by him to finish his business in the junkyard of dead souls. That's amazing, isn't it? When you look around you, what's going on? So I bring you to my last point we're through. Our motive is to be a restoration motive. Um, I told you I was going to use three illustrations of my own life. I've already used Charlie and I've already used the RV. So here's my last one. Uh, when I was 17 years old, thought I was on top of the world, could do whatever I want. You know how you are when you're 17. I tell my parents what I'm going to do and they have to listen to me and you know you're just way ahead of yourself and you, it's funny how how smart your father and mother get when you get to be like 28 <laughs> yeah and you remember back what they said and you think eh, boy they were right all along but my dad told me don't buy this truck and I did when I was 17 years old, I bought a 1938 Ford truck 1938 can you believe that it was in desperate need of restoration. It was a rust bucket, but I saw it as a classic. I mean, I saw it like, this is a 1938 Ford. Uh, my dad saw it as a piece of worthless junk, and you're wasting your money. I saw it as a beautifully restored masterpiece. <laughs> Can I just tell you this? This is how God in Jesus Christ sees you when you come to him with all your filth. Now let me finish this illustration and we'll close in prayer. No, else, no one else wanted this truck. I was the only one that wanted it. And why? Because it was of value to me. It wasn't of value to my dad or anybody else. Matthew 16, 26, For what is a man profit if he gain, shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know what he's telling us? He's saying the value of your soul is valuable because of the way he sees you. Not about how you think of yourself. One soul is worth more than all of the world and everything in it to him. One soul was worth Jesus dying for because every soul had worth to him. Um, no one cares for our souls like Jesus. Nobody does. And, and when I first read that verse and thought about how valuable we are to him, it, it really changed me. And I, I'll tell you how it changed me. I, always, I knew he saw, he always sees us in our pains and our struggles, and the Bible tells us he feels those pains and those struggles, and he does. Whatever you're going through, he feels it. He was through there, went through it. He knows what it's like. I know that. But I also know this. Right? He doesn't see us all beaten up and all bruised with sin. He sees us as the finished product. You know, I said a hundred times here, when you see somebody come through the door and they're all tattooed up, spiked up, colored up, don't look at the raw materials. Look at the finished product. Right? See them as a soul that's worth, that's worth Christ dying on the cross for. He sees us as a finished product that only he can give just as if we were never sinners who never sinned, beautifully restored to our former glory. It's amazing, our God, isn't he? I paid $350 for that old rusted piece of junk, and I thought I got a deal of a lifetime. 
I soon learned I didn't have the money nor the expertise to restore it, and Charlie was now dead. Now, don't miss this application, and don't mind me if I get a little emotional during it, what I'm about to say. It was not long before I realized something when I had that truck. That old truck would be better off in the hands of someone who could bring it back to life. It wasn't until I realized that until I really gave my life to Christ. There was nothing I could do to save myself. I just needed to put myself, my soul, into the hands of someone who could. My friends, there are some things you just can't fix. There's some things you'll never be able to change or never correct or never cure. There are some things you just can't comprehend. But I want to tell you this, there's one thing you can do and that will conquer all of them and that's that give your life to Jesus Christ. It tells me in my Bible, nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Romans 8, 7, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. 1 John 4, 4, did we forget that one? Literally, have we forgotten that verse? Year of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you understand that Jesus not only rescues you and redeems you, but, then, but when he restores you back into the fold, it's like you never left him in the first place. That's our God. He brings us back, into, back from the graveyard, cleans us up, makes us alive again, where we can be useful to him again. So I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know. I really don't know, but he knows. And this is exactly what is supposed to be our mission, our mandate, our motive in every ministry we do. It's a rescue mission. It's a, that people need to be redeemed and restored. Brethren, if, you know, I read Galatians 6, it says this, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Then he says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, what a privilege we have. Do you understand that? To serve a God who loves us, who is willing to die for us and do whatever it takes to rescue us and then to put us right back into the field um, as if we never lost a step. He is the one who can take a fallen soldier or a forgotten saint or a failing servant and return them back to useful service. Do you realize Jesus is, is anxious to receive you back when you're ready to come to him? He, he only wants you to, he, he's going to open his arms. And by the way, according to Luke 15, he's going to, uh, I think it's Luke 15, the prodigal son. He's going to, if you're ready to come back and, and you make your way, he's going to run out to greet you. And that's why under my watch, anyone who has wandered away from this church will always be welcome back to this church. They can return and receive all the blessings they once possessed here. We're not going to set them down and say, what was wrong with you? <laughs> because the past has been pardoned, has been forgiven, forgotten forever. We pick up right where you left off and go right ahead forward from there. He restoreth my soul. It means he restores all the blessings that you lost while you were trying to do it your own way. 
when the prodigal son finally came back to his senses, right, he headed back home, and his father was headed to him. And what did he say? He said, bring forth the best robe. Yeah, and put it on him, and, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. He restored all the blessings that boy lost, and then some. And when God restores your soul, my friends, you don't have to work your way back into his graces. You get, you're right, you get full, full attention again. He brings us right back to the point where we can appreciate again the things that we had before we lost them. Uh, he, he brings us right back to the point we can enjoy the relationship in him we had before we gave that relationship away to the world. He brings us right back to all the blessings he wanted to give us before we gave them up for worldly pleasures. That's what he does. David knew exactly why God was using uh, his hand to pen these words. Because David knew his Lord. He said, Lord, rescue my soul. You could have added in there like you have a hundred times before this. Once a shepherd, he was familiar with lost, rescuing lost sheep. My friends, God's mission was rescuing souls from death. That should be our mission. God's mandate was redeeming sinners from their self-destruction lifestyles. That should be our mandate. And restoring, uh, restoring servants back to service again when they have fallen, it, should be, it, it really should be our motive in life is to, is to get them all back within the fold. These are the main areas we need to focus on these days ahead as we seek to usher in revival. These are the areas. Let's go to prayer asking God to help us in these areas. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Resurrection Sunday is just four weeks away. My theme is going to be Operation Cleanup. And there might be somebody right here that needs to be washed in the blood right now. I, I think about that all the time. Who walks through these doors? That's what's going on in their hearts and what they're looking for and what they're striving for. And some maybe, someone has maybe walked through these doors uh, trying to find you, Lord trying to hear from you, and I want them to hear from you today. If they need to be saved, they need to repent of their unbelief and turn to you and receive you as their Savior. If they need to be restored, they still need to repent. They need to confess to you their sins and then get back on track and let you cleanse them from all unrighteousness. If they're searching and seeking, Lord, find them. Please, I pray this morning. Mike's going to come in a minute, Lord, and he's going to give the invitation. I just trust, Lord, if there's anyone here unsaved, today would be the day of their salvation, whether it be from sin unto eternal life or from themselves. As already a born-again believer who needs to get back on the right path, whoever it is and whatever needs to be done, Lord, you do it. You know, with every head bowed and eye, every eye closed. Anybody here today? Is there anyone here today that wants to be saved that has not settled this issue with Christ yet? Anybody all by the raised hand? I'm just going to say amen. I'm going to see you after church. Anybody at all? Are there any saints here today that have fallen? They know what they, you know what you've done. I don't know what it is. You're, are, is there someone needs prayer here today?
to get back on track, you know, to be on the path that God wants you on. Um, I want to pray for you. By the raised hand, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm just going to say amen, and I'm going to pray in just a minute. Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else in here just wants to get back on the right track? That's all. Wants to be restored. And if there's anybody in here right now that has lost that loving feeling, that redeeming effect, that Christ gives and just needs a hug today through prayer. If you raise your hand, I'll pray for you right now. Anybody at all, there's a God who loves you. And I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you on his behalf. He wants you back. He wants you to know how much he loves you. All right, Father, you saw the hands. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.